Christ. Amen. The whole armor of God. That's our message series for this season. And today we come to part two, the belt of truth. In Ephesians chapter six, Paul lays out a a full armoring available to the people of God. In verse 14, at the beginning, he mentions the belt of truth. Let's review quickly this passage, Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. Follow along with me in the word. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. We talked about last time how Paul introducing this passage by saying, finally, and then coming back in verse 13 to say, after you have done everything, are two phrases that can be understood as referring to the completeness of awareness of spiritual enlightenment encouragement and equipping that is secured for believers. The whole letter of Ephesians was about has done, which is to to make us feel good, to give us strength to face opposition, and then to equip us to counter that opposition in the spirit. Again, the opposition is not people and their opinions. The opposition is not people and their weapons. The opposition is demonic spirits of principalities and powers and their weapons. So we come against those things standing on Christ, on the foundation of who he is, rooted in him by whom we overcome. And we do that not naked, but covered. Covered in what the Greek calls panoplia. It's where we get our English word panoply, which means a full array of things. Panoplia that Paul symbolizes in the armor of a Roman soldier. This is symbolic of the the myriad resources that Jesus provides the people of his church by his spirit, according to the will of the Father. And there's a progression in this. As we recognize the reality of the darkness of the evil age that we're living in, we are able to persevere against it only in the spirit. And we will ultimately receive a victory of rewards as we do so. So the whole or the complete, the total armor of God is all the array of the panoplion, the complete outfitting of a soldier's equipment 
It's rooted in a word for tools, a Greek word for tools. It means the whole set of tools. You've got all the tools that you need. In verse 14, Paul begins making specific mention of these tools. And I'm convinced that Paul does not give us each of these elements just as a rhetorical device to try and make uh, a more um, illustrious uh, illustration. He's not just uh, gilding the lily here. He's not just adding words. He's actually got an intent that each of these elements that has a particular purpose in the armament of the Roman soldier has a particular purpose in the life of every believer and in the corporate life of the church. We can think of these as PPE. You've heard a lot of that lately, right? Personal protective equipment. We've heard so much lately about how vital that personal protective equipment is for medical workers who are on the front lines, battle terminology, in fighting the pandemic. It's necessary for you and I to have the personal protective equipment of the spirit if we are going to stand against the enemy. And the first of these mentioned is the belt of truth. What purpose does the belt in the Roman soldier's armament serve? And why does Paul begin there? It seems like a rather humble element. Why not begin with the sword, the only offensive weapon that Paul mentions? Why not begin with the shield, which, as you could see in the illustration, is nearly as large as the entire body? Even the helmet has more glamour to it than the belt. Actually, the belt, if you can look at this uh, illustration once again, is one of the first things that, the, that gets put on. And it ties everything together. Maybe there's a fashion statement in that. The belt ties everything together. The belt has a purpose, which is to prepare. To provide. To protect. And ultimately, looking at these three things together, preparation, provision, and protection, gives us a threefold understanding of the total purpose of the belt. Have you ever thought about how a belt pulls in two different directions at once? It's necessary for the belt to wrap around your waist to lock into place, and it's the tension of the belt that holds everything together. In fact, in, in uh, the ancient Near Eastern world, people usually had flowing garments. They wore robes, skirts. Even the soldiers um, had that kind of uh, garment because it would be very difficult to tailor the kind of fitted garments that we wear today with the technologies that were available to them. Garments were generally handmade, obviously. And so uh, to, to make things that would fit to the legs and still be durable and strong was really a cost prohibitive, time prohibitive enterprise. So people wore um, flowing garments. The belt gathered all that flowing together. And think of how critical that is if you're going to go into battle. You cannot move quickly, you cannot move freely, and you cannot be confident in how you're moving unless you have a belt that gathers all of that together and holds it tightly in place. That's the preparation of girding. In fact, throughout the scriptures, the notion of girding up one's loins is used as a phrase to describe preparation. 
The belt was also protective. It held the other pieces of armor together in such a way that they all fitted together tightly, providing that shielding. So not only was there preparation for rapid movement, there was also protection and provision. I mentioned Batman's utility belt last week, and it's true that in ancient times, belts were actually pockets. In fact, in older translations of the scriptures, you may have read sometimes about how Jesus would talk about, or the scripture would mention somebody reaching into their belt to get money. That's because you could put a money bag under a belt and cinch it into place, but many belts were actually money belts, like some people even still travel with today, where you actually had pockets in the belt. That was about the only place that was reasonable and feasible to put pockets. Again, ancient garments often didn't have pockets, but belts did. So they were a resource provision. Remember in the old Batman movie when Jack Nicholson, as Joker says, where does he get those wonderful toys? Batman got them from his belt. And in ancient times, that's where people got their resource. That's where people held their money. That's where a weapon might be stored. Preparation for movement. Provision for need. Protection in the battle. And a purpose. The purpose is to move forward, to take ground, to stand strong, to resist assault, and also to know that you are girded, encircled in the truth. Let's, let's go further in the study. Ready for motion. That's what a belt does. What's the first thing you do when you get in a car? Some people jack up the tunes. Some people uh, like to listen to the news. Uh, some people um, are going to make phone calls. Some people just like to hum and quietly to themselves in the car. But hopefully the first thing you do, it's certainly the first thing I do, is put on your seat belt. That's a different kind of belt, but it's got preparation for motion. It's going to secure you for rapid motion in a safe way. Ephesians 6.14 says specifically, stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth. Will you say those three things with me? Girded your loins with truth. Truth is obviously the key focus of our time together today. But I want to talk also about each of those three things. Girded, peritsonomai. It means encircled and secured. Our word for girdle comes from the same source. It's the idea of something that goes around your waist and holds you in. Speaking of the belt of truth, I'll bet your belt tells the truth about you like my belt tells the truth about me. When you put your belt on, it's got a tongue and it speaks and it says you've gained a little weight or you're losing weight. And that encircling around your waist tells you something about a truth that cannot be denied. Well, it can be denied. We'd like to deny it. But the truth is told by the belt. There's something about going the full distance around something that is being described here in Paul's metaphor. That truth goes all the way around and can hold the tension between opposing ideas in a way that solidifies the truth. The truth has teeth to it, just like a belt. And the teeth are intended to bite into the place where the truth of the Lord is secured. So when you put a belt on, it's telling you something about your health. 
whether you're out of shape, whether you're 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 um, gaining too much of the wrong kind of thing, or by the same token, putting on a belt and suddenly finding that it's it's too loose. That might sound good to us, but you know, wasting away is not a sign of health either. And it may be an indicator that you're not getting the nourishment that you need. Now, apply these metaphors to the life of the spiritual truth that you and I are being called to here in this scripture. Are we getting fat in our faith? By which I mean to say, are we engorging ourselves on our own opinions and ideas? Are we getting sloppy in our application of the word? Are we getting loosey-goosey in our embrace of the spirit? The belt of truth will tell us that. Or are we wasting away because we're not feeding on the bread of heaven, the word of God, and not connecting with the body of Christ? Are we growing weak because we are um, so stuck in fear that the strength of the Lord that would be strong muscle to us is wasting away? The belt of truth will reveal that. Most of all, the preparation that is being called for here is one in which we are ready to hear the word of God, the guidance and the direction of God, and then to go with it. The first time that this word for girded is used in the scriptures is in Luke chapter 12, in which the people are told by Jesus, be dressed in readiness. The word is literally be girded, be girded up and ready to move. Keep your lamps lit like those who are waiting for their master return. So the truth of the Lord makes us ready to act on the guidance of the Lord. What is this business of loins? It does mean the waist. It's actually the central trunk of the body. The the Greek term there refers to that central area from the waist to the upper thighs, which also happens to be the locus of generative power. It is the place where the reproductive organs are held. And In fact, the word for loins is utilized in the scriptures to refer to multiplication of life. In Hebrews 7, where uh, the author of Hebrews is talking about the descendants of Abraham, he utilizes the same Greek term, which isn't always translated in your English translation, but it's there in the Greek. He's talking about the Jewish people descended from the loins of Abraham. So the preparation is for the place of our power release, the place where evangelism takes place, the place where new believers are going to be seated and born, that's the place of readiness and preparation, the place of our faith that will produce more faith around us. And it's through truth, through our voices, our um, witness, our testimony, being encircled and bound in the truth, the aletheia of God. It means whatever is true in any matter of consideration, the truth of God, which is more than just information, it is an aspect of his character, truth as trustworthiness. In fact, the first time that this term is used in the Gospels is in Matthew 22, when those that are coming to Jesus to ask him a question are trying to butter him up with sweet words. But what they say is, we know you're a man of truth. We know that you're truthful and that you teach the way of God with the truth. Now, they may not have been truthful in saying that. That may not have been what they really thought about him. But in fact, it is what is really true. And it's that truth, that character that not only prepares us to follow God's guidance, 
but resources us to do so with everything that we need. Jesus said to those who believed in him, if you hold to my teaching, which is the word of truth, then that means you're really my disciples. You'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. It will enable you to have access to all the liberty and the liberality of God, the full provision of the Holy Spirit, the full protection that makes you and I ready for action. Here's a psalm that talks about the value of truth. It's Psalm 15. Let me read it to you. It's a psalm of David. Lord, who may dwell in your sacred tent? Who may live on your holy mountain? The one whose walk is blameless, who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from their heart. Let me say that again. Who speaks the truth from their heart. This is the truth of God. Not just the truth as I see it, not just the truth as you may see it, but the truth as God sees it. In other words, even though it involves things that we can't see and we don't know because his ways are not our ways, they're higher than our ways, it is straight from him. It's not just a set of information. It's an awareness of the character of God. And it manifests in our character. Someone whose tongue doesn't utter slander. Someone who doesn't do wrong to a neighbor. Someone, listen, who doesn't slur others. Who despises a vile person. By this it means, it does, it's not somebody who calls wrong right. It's not somebody who turns a blind eye to wickedness. And it's not somebody who fails to honor those who fear the Lord. It's somebody who acknowledges wickedness where it is and who honors the people of God, who keeps their oath even when it hurts. A person who lives by principle, you see, and doesn't change their mind just because it would be self-serving to do so, who lends money to the poor. Generosity recognizes against the innocent does these things say it with me will never be shaken you see that when you and i are wrapped in the belt of truth not only are we provided with all the freedom and all the force of god but we are also protected from any and all opposition it doesn't mean that we won't face hardship it means that when we face it will be strongly and safely and securely girded in the truth. And because of that, we will know how to speak. We will know what to say. Jesus stood before Pilate, the righteous man of truth, standing before a ruler who was about to sentence him to death unrighteously, unlawfully, and unfairly. Pilate says to Jesus, so you're a king. And Jesus says, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me.
Immediately after hearing Jesus say that, Pilate says, and we can only imagine the cynicism with which he says it, what is truth? Pilate may have been a man before his time, or maybe it's true that the postmodern sensibility that we think of as being relatively recent in development is actually as old as time, or at least as old as people, and that Solomon was right and wise when he said there's nothing new under the sun. Because it seems as though what Pilate is saying is, well, truth is relative. What's, what's truth? Your truth, my truth, they may not be the same. And in fact, there's a perspective from which Pilate has a point. After all, Jesus is going to go to death for the truth. With people around him screaming that he's a liar. But the reality is, there is a truth that cannot be moved, that cannot be shaken, that will not be altered. And even if no one in the world recognizes it, that truth cannot die. Even if it was put to death on a cross, it rises again with life, life in the blood of Jesus, life and truth in the body of God, the bread of heaven, the word of truth. Will you take your communion elements and gather them to you? I want to say something challenging to you and to me today as we come to partake of the body and blood of Jesus. The people that Jesus taught, the authorities that Jesus debated, the disciples that Jesus recruited, the apostles that Jesus called, the Roman officials who judged Jesus, and yet Jesus faced in truth, not with any other weapons than the Spirit. All of these thought they were right. They all thought they had a corner on the truth. Even when they thought that they didn't know everything, they were sure about what they did know. I may not know everything, but I know what I know. There's a phrase that reappears again and again in the Old Testament book of Judges a book that we're going to study together, God willing, next year. And it says, in those days, there was no king in Israel, and all the people did what was right in their own eyes. All the people were wearing, I guess, their own belt of truth, holding their own ideas, relying on their own resources, going in their own direction. But it did not amount to the freedom to the preparation, provision, and protection of the Lord. At least, not usually. And you can see that all those people that I just described, the Roman officials, the Jewish leaders, the disciples, and the apostles, they all had the truth standing right in front of them. And they didn't all respond in the same way. And some were more willing to see the truth in others. 
But the reality is no one could really know who Jesus was, according to Jesus himself, until the Spirit made him known to them. You and I cannot know the truth simply through the act of studying, through accruing data, through applying empirical procedures to evaluate empirical evidence. You and I cannot know the truth even just by reading the word of God unless we allow the spirit of God that is alive in this word to come and wrap us around and bind us to his truth. And in that wrapping around and binding of the truth, there often comes a loosing from lies. Jesus said, you'll know the truth. And not only will the truth bind you to the things of the Lord, it'll free you from the things of the flesh and from the falsehood of the world. Could you and I enter into a time of receiving this body and this blood of Jesus while also receiving a spirit of humility that says, I'm willing to acknowledge right now that there's more going on than I can see. There's more happening in my world than I know. And unless I am every day putting on that belt, unless I'm opening the word every day and wrapping it around me, unless I'm receiving the reality of the spirit in a way that invades my ideas and my thoughts and that can take their place, can move them aside and instead establish a completely different perspective that God might give me, unless I'm doing that, I'm at risk of being so confident that I'm following God and ending up being a Pharisee. It's a real risk. If we don't acknowledge that the truth of God goes deeper than what we can know and sees farther than we can see, then we are unlikely to really be wearing that belt that will prepare us for what is to come. Because there are harder times coming. And we are not being led into these times. Church, brothers and sisters, we are not being led into these times to be people who run and cower in fear. Nor are we being led into these times to be people who charge against other people and rip them apart with our sharp tongues and our sharp teeth who use our swords and our guns to force people to do what we think is right. We are being called to be people of love and truth who are wrapped and ready in that truth and in that love and armed with that word to do battle in the spirit by prayer, through worship, and through the revelation of God's word and will so as to see souls saved. The world as it is, is already lost, but the people in the world can be saved, but only by Jesus Christ and only by his truth. And how will they know that truth unless you share it with them? So speak the truth in love to everyone that you know and see and share that truth in love. Give to those who lack. Be patient 
with those who aren't patient with you. Be kind to those who are unkind to you. Show love to those who don't deserve it because you and I didn't deserve it either. And yet here is love. Here is truth. Here is Christ broken and bled out for you and I so that we could receive the provision and the protection that prepares us for the purpose for which we were saved, which is to be the army of God and the witnesses of Christ. Lord, we received this body of yours today and we ask that as we receive it, we would receive your truth. Make us humble as you were humble. Make us bold as you were bold. Let this bread be to us a spiritual DNA that that encodes within us the same character that is in you, a character of truth. You did not rely upon your own opinions. You said, I don't speak what I choose to speak. I only speak what the Father gives me to speak. And I know it because of the Spirit. And I know it because of the Word. And so, Lord, let us be like you in that. And may you be in us. Lord, we confess that we are people. I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell among a people of unclean lips. And according to your word, if we say we have no sin, then we lie and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sin, then you are faithful and just. You are true to cleanse us of our sin and all unrighteousness and to fill us and free us by your truth. We receive this cup of that promise, this cup of your blood in your name, Jesus. Amen. Follow the Lord, church. Seek him, hear him, follow him. If you're watching or listening today and you haven't been following the Lord or you've never followed the Lord Jesus Christ, here is truth. What is truth? Pilate should have asked instead, who is truth? And Jesus, who stood before him, was and is the living answer. Receive him today and may his truth be known to you and may it set you free.